Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivid section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here talking about this week's UFC card going at the going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a woman's strawweight bout between Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill. We're talking about the prelims right now with a featured prelim of Karolina Kovalkovich against Vanessa Demopoulos. And I gotta say, I'm a little surprised are you sure about that Zane? are you sure it's not maheshate okay. vyacheslav borschov that's right that's right i forgot i i need to be i was on wiki for a minute because we were talking about the old card and i you uh, and you and the wikipedia i'm uh, what can i say it just it the layout it just speaks to me so we've yeah. got a, a featured prelim between maheshate and vyacheslav borschov borschov actually as apparently he pronounces it those Russian vowels, they're hard to get. Yeah. Um, the new Brazilian Portuguese, Russian. The, yeah. But I'm a little surprised that uh, they buried Latifi Nascimento. You got a shit no. heavy like, right down in the middle of this. That, no. You, you know, what What are they doing here? Shucks. Why, that should be the co-main. That should be the co- It should be the co-main. Featured prelim at the least. I mean, they're, yeah. they're big. They're big, they're beefy. When they get when on the scale, he rode that horse that one time, and that was really cool. When they get on a scale, the number they see starts with a two. That's right. They, they should be the main event. That's uh, right. No, thank God they buried the heavyweight fight. I know. The <laughs> get that shit out of here. <laughs> uh, um, it is weird, like. I have all these good thoughts of Leo Latifi, but I realize now they're just meme thoughts. Just just from memes, yeah. Not just from fights. memes. His fights not are dreadful. Fights. Yeah. His fights are dread like unanimously dreadful. They really are. Um, they <laughs> suck. So yeah, bury that shit. Uh, and give me some like meaningless violent lightweights mm-hmm. in the in the featured prelim. Absolutely. Yeah. Um this is a great booking decision in terms of bout order. And this looks like a uh, this is like a more than adequate filler fight. Like, yeah, no one has any reason to care about either of these guys beyond having seen a, a fight of theirs. Barely remember their name and only remembering that they were pretty fun and violent. Yeah, I only care about Mahashate because somebody with a YouTube channel or with a Twitter channel claiming to be him would occasionally stop by my buzz, my Twitter and make fun of me for not being a big enough Mahashate fan. <laughs> I would love if that was really him. I would, I, I, I would too. If it's, it's really sad, him. if it's some schlub, but if it's Mahjate being like, "Hey, idiot, I'm yeah. cool," then that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it was like it was a picture of him. It just said Mahjate had like, you know, like 200 followers or something, and posted about almost nothing. But occasionally, it would come <laughs> by and buzz me. <laughs> that's fun. It was it was fun. it endeared me to him to no end whether it's him or not. Yeah, honestly. Um. Anyway, this uh you know this is a fight. It's going to yeah. be perfectly fun to watch. Um, my initial instinct was to just pick Borshov. Yeah, um, he's never been knocked out, although yeah. he gets hurt pretty regularly. Yeah, and I looked at it more carefully, and I was like, you know what, Mahashate's never been knocked out either. Yeah. Um he he he's pretty tough and that's kind of his whole thing is that he's a big dude who is very scrappy. Yeah. He, and he's all about being big and tough and counterpunching and Borshov is all about being uh ropey and aggressive and then creating exchanges where he can counterpunch. Yeah. Um but also like 
Borshov can be counterpunched. He can be oh, picked yeah. off with jabs and low kicks, which are things that Mahashate likes to do. Both these men are defensively void. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, really, uh, Mahashate's biggest issue in his last fight was um, not just the pressure, but really the pressure combined with the wrestling from uh, yeah, Rafa met, Garcia. He met somebody that he couldn't knock out, and... Right. That just meant that Rafa Garcia got to pressure and wrestle and do his whole thing for as long as he wanted because Mahashate was always going to wait for him to go first. Yeah. And uh, Rafa Garcia is tough as hell. Yeah. So, um, you know, two guys who basically lose when they get out wrestled and otherwise just have like uh, at worst like 50-50 ish striking battles. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do I take Borshov because he hits the body because he's more aggressive and puts his foot on the gas? Probably. Um, but I, I think he's going to also like walk into a ton of very long, very straight jabs. Borshov seems more likely to get, I, I feel like I see him get hurt more. Yes. I, Mahashate I, just seems to soak up damage. Yeah. And even that, it feels like a bit of a wash because yeah, uh, yeah, Borshov, I think, is more hittable. He's just easier to get to. He's not as big. Um, he likes to put combinations together when he hasn't necessarily earned them sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And will just, yeah, like on, on equal footing, just start throwing punches without any defense. So, yeah, he's going to get caught clean. Um, but the exception to Mahashate's demonstrated toughness is the fact that Borshov is a liver hunter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've seen him take some pretty clean shots to the head. Uh, most people can't withstand a really clean shot to the liver. There's still a possibility he will get knocked out in a way he hasn't considered before. Um, I'm I'm going to take Borshov, but uh, this looks like a very 50-50 fight to me. Yeah, it does to me, too. It should just be a scrappy brawl, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I'll take Borshov for the aggression and the body punching. I will take I'll take Mahashate just because I think that Borshov is more hurtable. Mm -hmm. And I think Mahashate is going to just have the chance to, you know, I, I feel like this feels like the fight where neither guy has ever been knocked out and somebody has to be. Yeah, this feels very, to me. very much so. And I can yeah. really, really easily picture Borshov ducking into a knee or a front kick or a, a, a head kick. Yeah, or just getting caught with a huge counter hook and sure, sure, getting put out. Like Mike Davis hit him really hard. Mike Davis does hit hard, but you know, it, it, like it's just it's doable. Even Dakota Bush hit Borshov really hard before mm -hmm. getting overwhelmed. So I'm going to pick Mahashate in part just because I don't want to get trolled for not picking Mahashate. So, <laughs> He's won. You've let him win. I've let him win. I This is why I picked him last time, too, against Rafa Garcia. <laughs> and uh, and hey, it worked out. It didn't work out. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I, I really should be picking against him here, but I, <laughs> you know. That guy is really mean, if it's him or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not trying to get bullied in my DMs. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think he he might also just out-grapple Borshov is the thing. That that could actually He's happen. He's at least big and willing to grapple, and Borshov is really bad on the ground. Yeah. he's He, he, he got clowned by noted jiu-jitsu expert Mike Davis on the floor. So. Yeah. Mahashate um, opened at my, at plus 130 and is currently up about plus 150. Borshov opened at uh, minus 150 and is currently down at minus 170. I don't really see a reason to divide this fight at all. Yeah. Like, this should just be pure 50-50. Two guys known for knocking out opponents with scrappy boxing games and having no other real skills to bank on. And yeah. who are very durable. You know? Yep. Borshov picks more shot, more, more, uh, he, he picks more targets, but Mahashate is also just bigger. Yep. 
so bigger and probably a little more well-rounded yeah all right uh let's see back over here topology in fact i would say and... definitely more well-rounded it's not even that rafa garcia didn't even completely dominate him with the rest yeah yeah that brings us to a women's strawweight bout carolina kovalkovich or kovalkovich against vanessa demopoulos and uh you know, this is actually probably a pretty solid booking, um, all things considered, because I still am not all that confident about where Kovalkiewicz is these days. No, you're a fool. She's back. She is not back. She closed her eyes every single time she stepped in to, to strike with Silvana gomez Juarez. <laughs> she is still very deep in the throes of anxiety over fighting. She's taking it head on. She is taking it head on. Uh, and Demopolis seemed like an absolute trash fire when she got to the UFC. Just all wild, goofy overhands and poorly planned scrambles. But I also get the feeling that having officially stopped her go-go dancing career and making a little actual money from fighting these days and training full time. She seems like she's actually probably a pretty superb athlete who can advance mm -hmm. really quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's, an Ohio, she's an Ohio girl, Zane. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. She's from Columbus, the worst part of Ohio. <laughs> it's not Cincinnati. No. You ever been to Columbus? Yes, I have. It's a wasteland. I mean, I couldn't tell the difference between it and any other part of Ohio I'd been to, too. You're you're dead wrong. Cincinnati is the San Francisco of Ohio. We got hills. Cincinnati is interesting uh, terrain. Columbus is just flat, and it's like nine-lane streets throughout the entire city. It is one of the worst places to drive in this entire state. And I and I know Cleveland has those dead fish. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of – Cleveland has dead fish. It has Polish people. <laughs> Lots to recommend it. <laughs> There's um, those people they may be connected to the dead fish. I don't know. Science is still out. Yeah. Yeah. No, Columbus sucks. Oh, Columbus right. is trash. It's only the capital because it's in the middle. It yeah. is the worst city in the state. But uh anyway, it produced uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. And she seems like she's getting better in a hurry, honestly. Yeah, probably because she um, moved away. Yeah. She is picking her timing on her wild punching with a little more patience, honestly, which is not a lot. But mm -hmm. when you're hitting as hard as she does, it's enough, sure. you know. And she looks like she is getting more calculated and better schooled on the mat mm -hmm. and taking better advantage of her athleticism. So what that I, I mean, the thing with Kovalevich is that she is a very technical, she can be a very technical clinch fighter and grappler. So if she gets advantageous positions on Demopolis, she could just wrap her up and finish her. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the secret weapons in Kovalevich's game is that people who try to they, – they think they can out-wrestle her. She looks awkward, and then she just, like, is surprisingly strong and really, really mean, just as she is yeah. in the clinch, really mean when she gets to good positions on the ground. And she usually does. I mean, I would say most people who have tried to out-wrestle Kovalkiewicz have ended up, like, in half guard or mount with her beating them up. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's she's quite difficult to beat that way. But at the same time, uh, Yan Zhaonan got five takedowns on her and mm -hmm. just never got put in serious trouble. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jessica Panay subbed her, too. So it's not like it's all just... Mm -hmm. And Michelle Watterson even got a couple takedowns on her. Mm -hmm. 
Again, I would say this was in the lowest point of Kovacevic's entire career. Yeah, but the que- the question is, how much does be- beating beating Felice Herrig and then going toe to toe with Silvana Gomez Juarez suggest a renaissance? It's more how she looked in those fights. I know she was still like flinchy and, but she was going for it. I mean, the fact that she went in there against Penne with exactly as much visible confidence as she had against, you know, like. Uh, Michelle Watterson immediately after the Andrade knockout. Yeah. That was a terrible sign. So yeah. that, you know, at that point, the woman is irrevocably broken. It's a shock that she came back at all. She looked like she knew how her game worked again in the last yeah. two fights. And, and that's, that's true. That's, I still think a great sign for her. But it's just a question to me too. You know, like I say, is Demopolis is just a good athlete and she yeah. hits really hard. Mm-hmm. And it could be that, I mean, we know that for Kovalkiewicz to win this fight, she will have to walk in with very little troubling offense mm-hmm. on Demopolis and create scrambles. And she could easily just get clocked doing that. Yeah, she got clocked by Silvana Gomez-Suarez, who... Yeah. If she's good at anything, is good at hitting people with hard and clean boxing combinations. I thought she... Yeah. She came through it. I, I don't think Demopolis's game is well developed enough yet for me to pick her here. I don't know. I don't like banking on Kovalkiewicz. I'm going to take Demopolis. I think she's just going to keep showing up and surprising. Yeah, and I think- really don't think that. I I, I think Kovalkiewicz will maybe get a a round of dominant grappling, but will have enough trouble controlling Demopolis that she will have trouble putting a stamp on other rounds. Yeah, that that very that could very well be. I'm 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 riding with Kovalkiewicz. I think I guess uh, Demopolis is going to be one of those fighters that like I was just totally coming in. I was like, yeah, she's you know, there's nothing there. It's a good athlete who is struggling to figure out MMA, yeah. and I, she's probably going to improve a lot faster and a lot more than I would have expected. So I'm going to kind of bank on that. Yep, fair enough. Uh, odds on the bout. Kovalkiewicz is the very slight favorite. Open at minus 111, is currently at minus 130. Uh, and Demopolis opened at plus 101, is currently at plus 118. Yeah, just real narrow odds for this. I like I say, Kovalkiewicz. She really went. She got into some pretty dark places in her career, and yes, picking her to be a def, have a definitive edge over anybody right now to me is shaky mm-hmm. ground. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. I just think that uh, she's also. I mean, the thing is, even at her very best, before she uh, had to reckon with her mortality. Yeah. Um, Cola Cage was in fights where she would get hit a bunch and they would be insanely ugly and scrappy. And uh, again, I, I think it's a good sign that that's exactly the kind of fight she had with Gomez Juarez. You can call yeah. her out for flinching or whatever, but like, you know, she, she kind of did that earlier. <laughs> she just yeah. would go in there and get hit and just keep going and keep throwing combinations. And it's that combined with the possibility that she might just shock the hell out of Demopolis in the grappling as she often does. Yeah. Otherwise, how much improved do you think Demopolis is that she's going to be super comfortable against somebody who just keeps throwing a bunch of bullshit combinations in her face? Her her striking defense is still miserably bad. It's my, terrible. My, yeah. My my feeling is that she can actually maybe hit Kovalkiewicz hard enough or be strong enough on to, in like the start of a scramble that she can just. Put, she she can control positions enough or or create enough offense that Kovalkiewicz can't find definitive ways to take rounds away from her. Yeah, could be. Because Kovalkiewicz, you know, she's just not damaging with her striking at this point at all. She used to be, she used to be able eh. to pour on enough to make something happen. She's she's damaging when she has a hand on somebody. She's one of those strikes. Yeah, like, yeah. She doesn't. Her feet aren't connected to her hands at range. Everything's yeah. an arm punch. When she's in the clinch, she can crush people. Yeah. Just like she can land shockingly hard ground and pound. 
Um, but she doesn't, she's, she's got, uh, early days Drew Dober syndrome. Like she does not know uh, how to deliver power at range and her, her style and technique is not designed to allow that. No. Yeah. She, I think she's pro she, again, she's a shockingly powerful fighter. It's, it's, it's the fact that it does not come through at all in all of the busy yeah. range striking she does that makes it a surprise she got she got some terrible coaching early in her career and she's never been able to break it yeah basically you know? basically all right that brings us to orion cosi against gilbert urbina and who what i said who well yeah, yeah that, gilbert I, urbina is still around um yeah, I, I'm shocked that the UFC kept tough losers off the last season. I, I know, like the worst season yet, and and yet the they, old policy of just instantly clearing out all the chaff. Yeah, that you didn't have to even invite for one fight in the first place, except that you have to keep doing tough for some reason. Uh, nope. Now they're back to keeping even the tough losers. Yeah, Zach Pauga and Gilbert Urbina. Hey, Brian Battle is showing up, so maybe tough fighters are good, actually, after all. Well, one thing is they started paying him more. Hey. So I'm happy about that, at least. Battle, they just, uh, we actually got salary info out of Charlotte, and Battle is making 50 and 50. Wow, hey. Which, you know, it took Nate Diaz and, like, uh, oh, What's his, uh, Roy Nelson and like, uh, even TJ Dillashaw I took those guys like eight to 10 fights in the UFC to get to that point. Well, that is embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Hey, good for Brian battle. As for yep. Gilbert Urbina, uh, he lost to Brian battle. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not very good. He's, he's, he's a very a good, like he is he is very much the cut rate Andrew Sanchez or Anthony yes. Hernandez rat, rather. Yes, yes, Anthony yes, Hernandez. yes. Uh, in that he is ultra aggressive to start the fight. And you see him in those aggressive moments. Like, Ooh, that all chained together. Wow. You just shot a takedown, took the back, went for a choke and then started dropping ground and pound on this guy. Wow. Yeah. And then you wait like three minutes and you're like, okay, now you're really tired. Yeah, and, he gets tired, and and I think connected to that, he also see, sort of runs out of ideas. He has yeah. like one plan of how to overwhelm the person and, and put things together. Yeah, uh, create transitions, and then it's like, you, you know, even utterly formless Brian Battle was like three minutes in. Oh, I've seen this already. Yeah, and started winning the grappling exchanges. Which brings us to Orion Kosi. Mm-hmm who is also a dude who just goes out there and goes after somebody for a few minutes. Yeah. Really tired. And then people are kind of like, Oh, I've seen this now, but he yep. does a consistent power wrestling game at the very least. Yeah. He just looks like a more powerful wrestler. Basically Urbina has awkward, uh, ropiness to his wrestling, yeah. but, uh, Kosi more consistently puts himself in strong positions and, and, and like maintains good leverage for throws and lifts. And, um, I'll take Kosi. I think he's just a slightly better athlete. I think he's even tired, better coordinated than Urbina. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to, I think very quickly degrade into a really ugly fight. Yeah. Kosi is in, the, he's in that vein of wrestlers that have figured out they need to be high volume strikers in the current MMA world. Uh huh. And he has no actual striking technique that yeah. he's learned yet. So it's just like waving overhands at people and arm punches and stiff legged walking in to try and get to take down, but work and working at a volume that even he can't maintain. Mm hmm. Uh, but at the same time, a big thing with tough guys, I always say, is if you're really looking to figure out how somebody fights off of or how somebody's going to fight in the UFC from tough, go back before tough. Don't watch tough. Right. Tough is a weird control environment that tells us almost nothing. And if you go back to Urbina's fight with like Angelo Trevino, there are points in that fight where Urbina just gets tipped over. Yeah. Where Trevino just like grabs his waist 
and Urbina just falls to the mat. Yeah, he's just not very coordinated. He's I just he doesn't have a lot of natural athleticism. Yeah. So yeah, I'll take Kosi as well. But this fight could it, it, Kosi is not unfortunately a uh, clinical enough fight. Like he he got a lot of, he got a lot of finishes coming up, but mm-hmm. but he beat Blood Diamonds in. What are you saying? Yeah. Blood Diamond, a guy in the ever broadening category of guys I have to know about for some reason. Yeah. Is he like but, a TikToker or something? Like, where did he come from? No, again? he's his... one of uh, Israel Adesanya's training partners and part oh, of God, the, really? uh, yeah, part, part of the Helping Hands program that the UFC <laughs> runs for its biggest stars, <laughs> where if you're Israel Adesanya or Nate Diaz or Conor McGregor, you get to bring any one of your three friends into the UFC with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, at least for Ezio Adesanya, that also meant bringing in Carlos Olberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's also why we got uh, Chris Avila in the UFC for Nate Diaz. And, uh, oh, God, who was the terrible welterweight they signed a while ago? Martin Sano, I think, was his name. Who yeah, had yeah, fought yeah. for like five years, except for some terrible fights in Bellator. Yeah, and then he got crushed by uh, what's his name, Semmelsberger. Yeah. And Connor got Artem Lobov, and he apparently got three people off in- into this latest season of the Ultimate Fighter he did that they just recorded. Yep. It's just. I like how for the fighters, they're like, for their side, it's like, it's kind of admirable. You're like, oh, you're like, you know, you're doing something for the squad. Like, that's nice. You're looking out for your teammates. And from the USC's perspective, they're like, yeah, sure, idiot. Like, yeah. We we, we would have 90% chance we would have signed these nobodies anyway, just to to pat out an Apex card. Yeah. Like, completely the house winning. (laughs) Yeah. While while pretending to throw bone uh, to the fighters. Anyway, uh, anyway, I don't know where that guy yep. came from, but uh, that's Kosi uh, Co- does not seem consistently venomous at all. No, in his offense, and that is going to make this probably a very fun scrambling one round fight, and then a heavyweight levels of tired second and third round fight. Yeah. So yeah, I'll take Kosi too, but this should be tragicomical. Yes. Uh, Kosi is the very slight favorite, opened at minus 160 and is currently at minus 113, so that line closing in a hurry. Urbina opened at plus 143 and is currently at plus 103. Dead even is about right, like I say. I'm I'm picking Kosi because I expect him to win the first round when he's fresh and at the peak of his athleticism. Right, and then for them both to fall off when one guy already has a lead. Yep. Pretty much. That sounds about right. All right. That brings us to Ilir Latifi, Rodrigo Nascimento, the absolute mirror of Kosi Urbina. <laughs> You're right. In every way, shape, and form. That's true. This is just the exact same fight we just talked about. Ilir Latifi playing the part of guy who wrestles well and doesn't seem to be able to connect it to anything else. Yep. And Nascimento playing the part of guy who starts fast and just falls apart in a hurry if he doesn't immediately have all the success. Yep. Um, this is a tough one for Nascimento because most of his success in his career comes through being able to out-wrestle people with his bad wrestling. Yes. He's not a good wrestler, but he does it, and he's a heavyweight, and that that is enough to beat other heavyweights. Yeah, and most of Latifi's success comes from not being easy to out-wrestle. <laughs> yeah, being really very hard to out-wrestle and being an actually shot. quite good wrestler who does one thing per three minutes. Yep. And if that one thing is successful, he can win whole rounds that way. And if it isn't, he will lose whole fights that way. Um... I don't know. <laughs> Just take Latifi. He's not going to get out wrestled. No, he's not. And and, and Nascimento is, I would say a you know a better boxer. 
Yeah. But also like slow and hittable and like Latifi has beaten plenty of of technically superior boxers who still aren't that good because he will just throw a hammer at them. And otherwise, yeah, like he doesn't do enough, but when he needs to, he can out wrestle Nascimento. And yeah, he's also 40. But have, if you're going to be 40, it's heavy. Yeah, like, the rules don't apply. Not only is he 40 at heavyweight, he's 40 as a great athlete at heavyweight. Yeah. He's he's, going to have a shockingly long tail for as long as he wants to keep doing this. Um, Yeah, I guess so. I'm taking He's also talking about retirement, which has me really worried. He's been, he's, you know, he was going to retire after a line. He might've even been saying he was going to retire after Bozer. Like, Mm mm-hmm. He keeps saying, oh, I'm done, and then walking back, which makes me, you know, when fighters get to that point, it makes me mm-hmm. wonder, like, how much they're willing to actually try the next time they show up, because they have so much doubt they're carrying with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas I I at least assume Nascimento is going to be really hungry to try to win this fight. He's just not very good. Yeah, I mean, I, he's he's not terrible. He has some potential as a heavyweight. Yeah. Like I said, he's actually got like there's some okay boxing ideas. The guy can throw a one one two. That's yeah. the that's the the barrier for entry for me to consider you a guy who might learn to box better. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and he can throw straight punches. Like he can put some basic combinations together. As far as heavyweight prospects go, his boxing is fine. Yeah. Um, he's willing to be like a well-rounded grinder and win a fight however he can. I just don't think, yeah, Latifi's not very good, but he's difficult to look good against. He is very difficult to look good against. And and that is not the kind of guy I expect this. Uh, I, I love, I love Nascimento's topology photo, which has him looking like this, like ripped, svelte, like, yeah, looks like powerhouse. And yeah. it's like... It's like the cutoff is right where the the, the gut starts. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, yeah. Like, he also looks he also looks a little leaner here than he he has recently. Yeah, I mean, but he it can't be that he's been ever actually like he must have just been sucking in for this photo. Hundred percent. Because sucking his, in and framed it carefully. Yeah, because his nickname is Yogi Bear. Yeah, and like. Brazilians know they know how to give a cruel nickname. Yeah. That nickname did not spring out of nowhere. It sprung yeah. out of the I mean, if you look at he <laughs> Nascimento does have the strange torso. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like most of his body fat is in like love handles. Right. So if you look at any other picture of him and you just put your hand over like <laughs> where the sternum starts, he he looks like how he does in his topology picture. Yeah. He looks ripped and hot. Uh, he's also balding now, which further diminishes the, (laughs) the the facade. Anyway. Yeah. Latifi's hard to look at against pick Latifi. I'll pick Latifi. Yeah. I'll, he he just makes fights ugly and has the like nascent skills and athleticism to eke those fights out. Yeah, I guess. Um, Latifi opened at plus 136. He's currently up at plus 173. Nascimento opened at minus 151. He's currently down at minus 195. Yeah, I meant to say innate, by the way, not nascent. That's so embarrassing. Oh, well. So embarrassing. You being an embarrassment. Oh, God. (laughs) Speaking of uh, nerds who deserve to get beaten up. Yeah, Chase Hooper, Nick Fiore. Um, and yeah, uh, Chase Hooper, apparently moving up to lightweight Chase Hooper. That is probably a smart decision. Probably. I think that should be fine. He's big. He's very lanky. He clearly packed on a ton of muscle as he grows into his body. Exactly. Should only pack on more muscle. He should make that move. Seriously getting, you know, getting pieced up and knocked out. He's, he's his strength and defense is terrible. So cutting more weight is not going to be good for him. Yeah. If anything, I would say fighting the bigger dudes, like the, they're going to be moderately slower on average. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that means possibly harder to hit him. It's, it's not the, uh, 
you know, he, he already doesn't pass the the test for can you take a murderously hard punch down at featherweight? I don't think it's going to yeah. be people hitting, you know, again, on average, people hitting slightly harder but less quickly looks like kind of a wash at worst. Yeah. And, um, yeah, otherwise, in that more manageable speed environment, he is still going to be quite big. Uh, he's going to continue to to pack on strength and, and, and mass, I assume, as he gets yeah. older. He, he already has. And uh, they have found some guy for him to fight. So yeah. that's good for him. Yeah, I think this is a fight that, for me, I just have to take Hooper here. Um, Fiori is a fighter who, I mean, both neither of these guys were ready when they got signed to no. the UFC. But Fiori built his career pre-UFC on two wins over Jay Ellis and a laundry list of 50-50 or worse opponents, basically, who he was just a much better grappler then. Yep. And then he got to fight uh, Rebecca and... Rubeski just teed off on him and it was like, hey, you can't grapple me, so what are you going to do? I, I will say, Fury still kind of impressed me in that fight. He took he a got, hell of a beating and came back. He got back shit and... kicked and he just kept going for it. Like, yep. That is something. He's got a little bit of maybe like Austin lingo in him. Where it's like, He's you got... sh- should not be physically potent enough to compete at this level. But boy, are you tough until you like sort of stick to your basic plan. I, I believe it's what they call, call having that dog in him. He's got that dog in him. Yeah. Yep. Um, but that tends to be a fight Chase Hooper can win because he can just tangle you up on the mat and then keep tangling you and keep yeah. scrambling. And he will come out ahead in tangling, constant tangling scrambles. Yeah. I mean, there is also a just as equal chance that Fiore does to him what uh what steve garcia did you know he likes to do that he likes to just charge at people uh he's got all he's got plenty of quick finishes fiore yeah um you know a a lot of rear naked chokes but a few of those are club and subs Uh, a couple quick knockouts as well he is a very aggressive striker so we'll see but yeah uh, i just he he was very back offable against rubeski i mean not that Hooper yeah. is going to offer any of that kind of physicality or violence, but I just don't think Fiore is comfortable enough on his feet to his striking is purely a way to get him to grapple. Yeah, very much for so. him. And I think that's the only way he's comfortable at least is if yeah. he has that option. Yeah. And for, uh, you know, for Garcia, the striking was always going to be like, no, I want to be in the pocket throwing combinations. Right punching you and that was the thing like Hooper really wasn't ready for somebody who would step in front of him get hit and be like yeah but I want to fight I want to fight here I'm going to hit you three more times right and Fiore might hit him once or twice but he's just going to try to clinch up right behind it and that is where Hooper even if he is clubbed gets really comfortable yeah and I think we saw against uh, uh, Felipe Colares yeah who did he did he die he did God, rest in peace. That's he yeah. was not that old. No, he was only like twenty four. I saw something about that on one of the UFC cards, and I almost like just, just like did not process it as a real piece of information. That's crazy. Yeah, he got hit by a bus. Oh fuck. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we saw in that fight how um, yeah, given a an opponent who like has to move their feet when you hit them and doesn't just want to keep absorbing shots and trading with you. He actually did look like his striking had improved. Mm-hmm. He was put back to square one by the insane pocket aggression of Steve Garcia. Yeah. But, um, I don't you know, that's an opponent designed to test how comfortable are you. He improved. It, it looked like the like early improvements we saw out of um, Jillian Robertson. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. she's learning to box. And then somebody's like, I don't care. I'm going to hit you. And then you're like, oh, she actually still hates it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably he will look like the slightly better striking version that we already saw of Chase Hooper here against Fiore. That's my guess. Yeah. So I got to pick Hooper. I think he can tangle Fiore up. Um, and yeah, I think the lightweight move for him is probably the right one. Nick Fiore needs to learn his Fiore. 
Wow. Is that a that's a reference too nerdy for anyone else to get? Yeah. You know, you know, in the uh, Princess Bride, when uh, this is not where I know it from, I'm actually even nerdier than this. But you know, when they're fencing. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley and uh, and uh, Inigo and uh, they're like, oh, I see you've learned your cup of Pharaoh. Yeah, oh, but I they're all they're referencing historical fencing manuals from Renaissance Italy. Gotcha. <laughs> One of them is Fiore. <laughs> yeah, that's way too nerdy for everybody. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> even nerds scorn you. <laughs> it's a Renaissance fencing master, Fiore. All right, all right Cooper opened up. at minus one fourteen. Is currently up at plus one twenty two. Uh, who and. Fiore opened at minus 130 and is currently at minus 135. I do not see anything about Fiore that I, would make you think that he would do what Steve Garcia did to Chase Hooper. I mean, Hooper has got his limitations, but he's also got, you know, even even losing to Steven Peterson and Alex Caceres He's fighting way, way better competition than the people Nick Fiore was fighting on the regional scene. Right. Thank you. Did we already make the joke that his name also sounds like an Italian version of Nick Fury? <laughs> it would have to be Nico, wouldn't it? Nico Fiore. Yeah. He's the head of Il Avengers. <laughs> Il, I don't know. <laughs> there must be a cool Italian word for, yeah, for, sure. for Avenger. There must be. Il Revenga. Uh, whatever. Let's move on. I'm done. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, Victoria, Leonardo, Natalia Silva and Natalia Silva or Victoria. Leonardo is going to get her ass absolutely beat or I will eat my hat. She is going to be crushed. Natalia Silva rocks. Yeah. She's, she's, she's going to, we're going to see some things further exposed here at some point, but like she's aggressive. She's fast. She puts her strikes together very well. Yeah. She's just a really good athletic wrestler and grappler when she needs uh-huh. to be. She's a beast. Um, and she's going to crush Leonardo. And Victoria Leonardo has the inglorious reputation of being just barely faster than Mandy Bohm. Who uh, who won last who weekend in one of the strangest weekend. strangest a, uh, referee meddled fights I can recall seeing? Yeah, in a fight where I still honestly thought Kim won that fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me two too. torn ACLs and two points taken. I still thought. Yep. Kim actually snuck out the twenty eight twenty seven victory. But hey. Yeah. So Victoria Leonardo just absolutely terribly slow. And uh, Natalia Silva, not terribly slow. And a much better practiced, more technical, uh, harder hitting, more dynamic fighter pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I think she's just going to absolutely flex on Leonardo. If she doesn't, then that is... Only says bad things about Natalia Silva. Yes. Odds on the fight. Silva is a insanely prohibitive favorite. Opened at minus 470. Is currently down at minus 885. Wow. Victoria Leonardo opened at plus 380 and is currently at plus 626. I mean, that's too wide for any... Yeah, I mean, a bottom of the card kind of matchup, but it, you know, they do reflect essentially exactly what we're saying, which yes. is that this is a very easy matchup to pick. It is worth noting Natalia Silva has lost five fights and had one draw fighting on a low regional level. Before. One of those was to Marina Rodriguez. One of those was to Marina Rodriguez. That was her most recent one. She has won every fight since then mostly still fighting at an insanely low regional level, mm-hmm. but has looked like she really used all that time and experience to hit the UFC very ready. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to bet she was a, just a much less uh, comfortable fighter yeah. who had to work out some lumps in the early stages. 
she she looks like a borderline finished product. Yeah. She she looks like she's at the only tweaks necessary stage already. So. So now the question is, how bad can you get and still beat Takashi Sato? Takashi still here, Sato. Yeah. Um, I mean, he is really the poster child for why why pace is the modern MMA meta. Takashi yeah. Sato, a life in three losses. Because <laughs> he just, he is a pure low output counter puncher in a modern MMA world. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he may honestly just lose to Themba Garimbo, who is not a good fighter, who is an, no. an absolute mess, but who will just, like, splash into his opponent and create a bunch of awkward tie-ups and just yep. keep crashing in again and again. I mean, he genuinely made AJ Fletcher uncomfortable in the first round and got good positions on him just running at him and creating tie-ups. Yep. Um, and, uh, AJ Fletcher is like actually a pretty good fighter and uh, certainly a good wrestler. Mm-hmm. And that's how he, that's how he got himself back in the driver's seat there. Sato is a solid defensive wrestler who will absolutely have that defense tested immediately and many times in a row because he doesn't do anything. Yeah. So I, I might honestly take the insanely messy Themba Garimbo to win here. Yeah, Grimo is one of the weirdest fighters I've ever seen in that yeah. he didn't, I don't think, start out with a wrestling game as like, you know, he'd start out as a natural wrestler as a child, I don't think. I mean, maybe, but uh, let me, ooh, let me, actually I can, Themba Grimbo UFC.com. They should have a little, like, what did you do questionnaire growing up? Info. Learn more fight facts. Uh, Q&A. <laughs> when and why did you start fighting? In 2010, after watching the movie Never Back Down. Awesome. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Yeah. I would love to think, by the way, being from Zimbabwe, that he saw a version of that movie that had one of those sick-ass Nigerian, uh, like, posters. Yeah. You know, the ones where they take yeah, all yeah. the Hollywood movies. And you, do- I think it's Uganda. Is it Uganda? I think it might be Uganda. Maybe it, maybe it is. Uh, maybe it's Nigeria, but. Yeah, whatever it was. There are Kenyan yeah. movie posters of Uganda, and obviously we're displaying an embarrassing lack of knowledge of various yeah. African countries. Um. But yeah, the 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 way that uh, Hollywood films are dressed up in that part of the world only makes that story more charming to me. <laughs> like, you, I can't imagine what the poster for Never Back Down might have looked like. Oh, it, it is it is. Oh, it's Ghana. It's Ghana. Ghana. Okay, that's why I thought Nigeria. See, I knew West yeah. Africa. Okay, but yes, I I would hope so too. Um... Although he's from Zimbabwe and lived in Which South, is from South Africa. Southeast Africa. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> but yeah, he, he's one of the weirdest fighters I've ever seen because he very clearly has taken to heart that aggressive wrestling and aggressive grappling is the core of MMA. And so without an innate wrestling game and without an innate grappling game, he is a hyper aggressive wrestler and grappler. And that is as just such a weird path to be on. Yeah. Where like the big thing you notice out of him is that like he will charge at somebody and get in immediately on like a power takedown. And you know, like in, in the AJ Fletcher fight, like power takedown to instant back take. And then the moment he starts sub hunting, he immediately loses position because he's neither a a great positional wrestler nor a great, nor an actual like technical submission grappler. So the moment he actually starts trying to make the position work for him, 
he either has to totally blanket somebody somebody or he'll just lose it yeah and it just makes him an incredibly strange fighter to have so and of course now he's training out of mma masters which is the like technique grab bag team that perfect fit perfect fit it will teach you how to answer questions and not how to ask any yeah I mean, hey, I mean, honestly, I, I have no idea what the man's training situation was like, but yeah, it, it seems he will likely just by virtue of having some some uh, UFC quality training partners, including, I believe, yeah. still Colby Covington. Yeah, uh, might pick up some things, might pick up some things, uh, you know, Takeshi Sato, he'll have the opportunity to counter will be there. But Absolutely. yeah, it's really a question of like how long can he how, how much space and time can he ever get to do anything yeah he has the he has the form without any of the pace and garimbo has the pace without any of the form and exactly I, i'm gonna pick pace to win yeah I'll, I, it's, it is the modern it is the modern way to win in mma so i i agree i'll pick the pace with you but ugly fight oh yeah yeah uh Sato opened at minus 107 and is currently at minus 104. Garimbo opened at minus 105 and is currently at minus 106. So dead uh, even in the odds. Yeah, fair enough. And overall, you know, now that we've been through it, again, not that bad a card. Yeah. It's, it's, right. it's fine. All right, for our non uh, paying Substack subscribers, that wraps us up. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, MusicBee, RSS Radio, IMDb, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, PodCruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, the Sixth Round Retro, the Show Money Podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, exclusive fighter interviews, and the return of the MMA Bunker.